Hi, and welcome to the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're working with you to build this campaign from the ground up. We know that every table is different, and so is every dungeon master. So please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make these things work for your campaign. We don't know who our party's going to be yet, and we certainly don't know yours. So we'll be designing encounters with an assumed party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, a priest, a mage, a criminal, and an outdoorsman. They will be slowly leveling up as we go, but for now we're at level one, and we're working on finishing the first mission and getting a larger sense of the world. Keep in mind that the first large chunk of episodes will be easy to adapt for any party between levels one and five. But before we get any further, let's get to building. So we have uh, gone through this thing. We've finally completed our first mission. Um, and your party has two. But now you have to resolve everything. And and kind of resolving that first mission is incredibly important. Mainly to kind of get your players really gelled together. It's that last little set of uh, step of setting them together as a cohesive group uh, of adventurers. And like this, this could almost be where you give your party a name. Yeah, I'm a big believer in every party having a name just so that you can quickly identify them. You can have town criers make the news about them or have a warrant out for the this whatever gang or guild or group or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, obviously this will be Tremblay's group or whatever in our own personal game because we've already tied it to a guild. Yeah. Right? So their own personal unit of whether it's it's guild unit B or whatever it is, right? There, there needs to be a name so that it's easily identifiable for the players to have some sense of identity beyond just what they wrote down on the character sheet before session one started. Yeah. But also the idea that it brings them all together. And the idea of a resolution being so important, especially in the early days, is because as they're all interacting with each other for the first time, they are starting to kind of figure out who's going to take what party role and they're they're they've got they've gone through a number of encounters at this point including what 18 dynamic encounters something like that yeah that, that we've come up with so far by the time that they've even hit this fourth session so they've gone through quite a lot already now who are they now they are a group now they're they have a dynamic who are they and and how do they feel about it yeah and, and, and how do they feel about their positioning in relation to the other party members as well? Because as you're wrapping up this mission and actually resolving things, you are forcing them to experience something new within the game for the first time as well, which is that um, who's the person who speaks for the party? Who's the person who uh, sits in the back? Who's the person who uh, manages group loot? As you are starting to hand out rewards, there's going to be one person who collects everything and then divvies it out to the party. I'm going to just... Stop and say, as you are going through the resolution of the first, like the first mission itself, this is your opportunity to really find out if this is gelling. I know you put a session zero into it and I know you put all the prep work in. I know that everyone's built their characters and you guys have shown up for a few weeks now and things are starting to get motoring. But if this isn't working, it might be time to redo the entire campaign from the ground up. When you give out your resolution and, and you finish this first mission and they look around and look at each other and you realize that no one around the table is having fun stop reassess and understand this is a game and you're not beholden to the next session even if you plan that yeah. you can recycle things they can take their characters and put them in a brand new campaign and say hey you know what that was a great beta test yeah right and so having this resolution to see did they enjoy what you gave them? And it was a simple escort mission with lots of different opportunity to do many different kinds of encounters. You've seen them in social situations. You've seen them exploring, do skill challenges. There's been party politics. We haven't even left level one yet. No. Now you as a DM should have a basic enough understanding. And this is why it's important for you to have a resolution here and not just jump into the next thing and say, oh, you get back into town and then all of a sudden there's a dragon. No, you didn't finish no, off. You, you need, need to breathe space. Yeah, you need to have that moment to say, look, let's settle in and see where people are. Yeah. Because someone may realize that it was a really cool idea to only use throwing knives, but you're only doing 1d4 damage compared to everyone else who has a great sword, <laughs> and you're just kind of feeling shitty about yourself in combat. It might be time to say, hey, 
Let's this, look because at level one you don't have plus three weapons. Yet. No, you I, don't have magic items coming at your ass. So this is this is where you need to make these very simple, basic. This ideas. this is one of those situations where you can open it up to your players that if they don't like the character they're playing, this is when they could even do a full swap yep. if they want to. Um, I know in my past games I've done that up until even level three to some extent, um, where I have made it. You know, once you guys hit level three. Your characters are set in stone and you've decided that this is the character you're running with. But up until then, you could swap out and edit and change as you need to suit the flavor you're really going for. Because when you get, you know, pen on paper and you have that character sheet in front of you, but you haven't even done a voice yet. And you sit down and then you're asked to say something in your character voice and you realize it's an absolute miss. It's not even it's not even a remote hit. It's just everyone at the table just ends up laughing at this character who you've got this serious backstory for and this dark tone and gritty realism to him and 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 now everyone's just laughing at your comedic horrible Irish Jamaican oddly Indian accent. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking from a place of pain here. This this is a personal thing, <laughs> but uh, it gives you an opportunity to change and be like, ah, no, he's actually from the Bronx. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Right? So, yeah, you do get to do a little bit of a rewrite, but this is when you get to summarize and say, okay, hey, look, we finished, and have a bit of a meta perspective as a DM and say, you guys are back in town. Now what? Yeah. And I know that you have stuff that you want to do in town. They want to go shopping. They want to have downtime. Before we get to that, you need to to signal that you've come to an end. And a lot of times, the way that you do that is by giving a reward. Sometimes a reward happens in the end of the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it happens when you get your your escort back to... I mean, not your escort. But you get the person you're escorting back to town. Well, maybe your escort, Dan. Hey, why not? Anyway, um, I, I have three reasons why. <laughs> we'll get into that in another podcast. So, um, one of the one of the big uh, indicators is going to be this, this loot that you give. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to come up with one... One unique item that is going to be a reward for a level one party. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's roll initiative. I got a 12. What did I get? 16? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, honestly, this is where this is where the bag of holding comes in for me. Right? That's beneficial. You give it away at level one? Yeah. It's beneficial for the whole group. Okay. They don't have a whole lot of stuff to put in it yet, but it's going to be useful for every dungeon that they go into moving forward. But the bag of holding, see, I, I made a promise to myself that I would never hand out another bag of holding again in my life about two weeks ago. Never again. I want to play with a little bit, not not the strict and hard um, you want, you encumbrance want... rules, but I mean, come on, guys. This is ridiculous. You have 9,000 great swords. No. The answer is no. You're not doing that anymore. Yeah. So um, I'll finish off my campaign so that they are with the bag of holdings they have, but I will never hand out another bag of holding again. However... What about a, a pouch of holding or a, uh, a spell component belt? Right? You've given out uh, other items like uh, there's that one uh, like magic card that the character had where he'd shoot, like say the magic word, show the card and the gold from everyone around would end up in this pouch, which was a bag of holding, but could only hold currency. Yeah. So there would be other minor mundane versions of a bag of holding. Um, or a pouch of holding, or a sack of holding, or I like a cage of holding because I don't allow creatures that can that are alive into my bags of holding because then shit just gets out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I You're know wrong. <laughs> I know of a campaign that's going on right now where they have got just a whole whack of monsters inside a bag of holding and they're waiting to essentially play Pokemon. Um, and so I know that that's going on in a campaign where they're just going to say, "I choose you," and pull out a beholder. They have a beholder in a bag of holding. Yeah, bag of beholdering. So a, ba- a bag of beholdering, yeah. Okay. Um, and but I mean, rules is written says they need they only have ten minutes of air in there, but the DM hand waved it, and now that's ridiculous. I like the idea of a cage of holding, where it's a, it's a little it's a little item, it's a little mundane item that has a certain number of slots based on the size of creatures, and you hold it against a creature, say the word, and there's no save. They just go <laughs> right. into they just go right into the cage, and uh, and they no time passes for them. They go into stasis. Until you say the word, and then out they come. Yeah. Right? This is really fun if they're in, like, mid-sentence. Oh, absolutely. Like, right. You can't put me... And they're inside the cage, and then two weeks later you let them out. Into that... Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. This is really dangerous when you have them go face-to-face with the big bad evil guy. Yep. Um, but I like the idea of there being 
um, these little these little rewards that get you past the basic mechanics that can be confusing or frustrating for low-level parties. For example, something like a flint and steel that always works and doesn't need a check. There's no survival check. You can always build fire. Yeah, okay. Or a water skin that will hold four times as much water as normal. Yeah. These these are these are very practical things. And I think for a level one party, that's real, you, you really need to focus on. For me, it's kind of, I, I like reading the table as well. And if there's anything around the table that the party is a little bit deficient in. Um, charisma might be one of those things. Charisma might be one of those. No, no, <laughs> a more mechanical frame of mind. Like, uh, say everyone decided that they really wanted to be the paladin. So no one could pick locks. I might give them like a, a lesser powerful form of a chime of opening or something. Something that will help them along. If everyone's a wizard, this is when I'd give them the bag of holding because ain't no one got that carrying capacity to carry stuff, right? Like I, I, I this is when I'd kind of help that situation out. The other thing too is you don't have to go magical with this. You can just say, here's thieves tools. Yep. Or here's, you're worried about carrying capacity? Here's a donkey. You not only don't have to go magical, like the big booming magical, this is a bag of holding, a renowned kind of iconic item. You could go with uh, what is offered in the Xanathar's uh, Guide to Everything, which are these common magic items. And it's like a cape that billows on command. Like these You've talked so, about this cape a lot. I, I, it's because I freaking love the cape that billows on command. Um, the Wand of Smiles. That once you use it three times becomes the wand of uh, frowns, I believe. Right? And you just, no matter what their mood is, you can make someone smile or make them frown based off a save. Like these kind of weird magic items that could help really uh, inject a little bit of uh, character into your player's characters. These, These things are really helpful to kind of build up your characters the way the way that they want their characters to be like if you have that uh holy righteous knight of course he's going to want that capability so like these are the these are the times you read the table figure out what kind of these small mundane or lesser magic items you can give them it's pretty easy to give them a reward and that gives them that sense of accomplishment, accomplishment. and now we've finished this quest yeah we just mentioned that we finished the quest why is that first quest so important? The first quest is is way more important than any other quest except maybe the last one. Because it's establishing absolutely every dynamic. And we just spoke about this a mm-hmm. little bit. But it's also establishing expectations moving forward. And not just your expectations, but the player's expectations of, does the cleric heal? We've established that by the time you're done the first quest. Yeah. Right. Or do they hold, does the paladin hold their lay on hands for only themselves? Right. Is that their backup? Yeah. So when you stop and you look at this, who's, are are we going to cast haste on ourselves or, or no? Right. And I know that we don't get haste yet, but you're going to start to see how, um, how selfish or altruistic or um, social or combat-oriented the other players are around the table. And it's important for everyone to be to know that, and your players will just naturally pick that up. Yeah. They're probably already friends. Well, one of the things that you can really do, and even if they're friends or not friends, you are able to tell what the table desire for gameplay is going to be. Are you playing that more tactical game? Are you playing that more role-playing and, game? And, as much as it will give you that answer in session zero when you ask that directly after the first mi- mission, you'll you have no real answer sure, because right? they'll say, Oh, I want to role play heavy. And you're like, okay, you wake up in the morning and you smell bacon. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We eat breakfast and I want to go fight something. All right. So we're not doing role play. <laughs> That's good to know. Right. And you don't have to, you didn't just sacrifice 400 sessions worth of prep around a campaign. I mean, this was the first mission. Yeah. Now, Dan, you and I, we've got this podcast that we're building over 100 episodes towards a final conclusion. So we know where we're going long term. Yep. But a lot of people don't really know until they're done the first mission. DMs may not know even which module they're going to pick up until they figured out how does their party work. That's completely okay. Like, it, you should not feel any sort of stress or anything about that if that's the world you're in. In fact, if you're... If you've pitched the idea to session zero, everyone has characters, but they don't quite know what kind of campaign they want to do yet. You could still do this first mission in a very simple homebrew world that you've put in. And then after you're done all this, you guys, you could tell your guys, okay, of those options I gave you in the session zero, here's what we're leaning towards, guys. Are we all okay with this moving forward with these characters we've now established? Yeah. If you find out that everybody wanted to, to play Curse of Strahd or you were leaning in that direction... 
and then you find out that your three clerics are War, Death, and Grave, you might be going into the wrong campaign. <laughs> right? These are not the light and life clerics that you want in an undead campaign, right? So I don't know. Having a death cleric in an undead, undead campaign would be pretty tight. Uh, it sounds better than it actually is mechanically. Yeah, probably. But um, when you are sitting there looking at your the fact that you have three priests or three mages or three outdoorsmen, you're going to be leaning in one direction or another if, if that's 60% of your party. But wait until you see how they work. Because not every rogue is created equally. There are a million different kinds of rogues and they're drastically different. Bards are another one. You don't know what you're going to get into when someone says, I'm going to play a bard. That could go in a thousand different directions. Yep. So it isn't until you really lay eyes on the party and how they deal with NPCs that have higher status than them and lower status. This is going to give you an idea about how murder hobo-y your murder hobos are. Right? Because at level one, that's what you are. Yep. Yeah, you don't have an established base. You don't have a, anything else like that. So you could really start to uh, feel where the party is sitting where, and what they expect. And then you could start giving them additional rewards for finally establishing this is what we're going to do. Now, these are going to be a little bit more meta rewards. They're going to be a bit more um, uh, things where you are not only establishing the tone of the campaign, but the tone of how the table will be run. Yeah, you have to start looking at... The people around the table, they're not, even if they're friends, they're not friends in this scenario yet, mm -hmm. right? You've, you've changed the basic dynamic because you guys are sitting around playing a game and a lot of people think that you can win D&D and you can't. There's no such thing as winning Dungeons and Dragons. No, there's just moving on to the next campaign. Yeah, you just finish this story one way or the other. So, um, so how do you get a sense of winning? Right? How do you get people to come back week after week and not just say, well, that was that was a fun little story. Uh, I've got um, uh, I've got the opportunity to do a pickup basketball game on Thursday nights, so I'm just not coming out anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, so how do you engage them? And let's uh, let's talk about that for a sec. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's roll for it because uh, basically what we could do is we could meta rewards to get people people involved in the game through the meta rewards. We could roll on that. So sure. Let's yeah. have a couple of those and let's go. We hit my dice. We both rolled fours. Okay, reroll roll again. Well, I got a four again, so at least I'm consistent. Yeah, I got a seventeen. So um, one of the things I really love, really helping players be drawn into the game and, and giving them a reward for finally completing this first mission on a player level is rewarding the work they did in character creation by uh, maybe pushing their. Uh, backstory a little bit or or giving them some sort of hint as to a furtherance of their character story this could be something like a uh note from a long dead family member or a long like a, a family heirloom finally resurfacing or uh a contact being made from your gladiatorial past now i hear what you're saying level one is really early to do that yeah. you have many miles to go with all sorts of rewards to hand out but you're still very close to your initial starting point. Yeah. So it makes sense that there would be things. I mean, when you're walking around the, well, not walking around the plane of air, but you know what I mean. When, <laughs> when you were flying around the plane of air, that that family heirloom showing up is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. All right. It isn't based on your location. You're still nearby. You're, you're starting. So it's, it's easy to get a message or a messenger uh, come and give you something. Right. Mm -hmm. This is also an opportunity for you to dangle hints because... Um, about what's going to happen in the future because there are going to be bits and pieces from their backstory that you as a DM have gone, interesting, I'll I'll, I'll murder that cousin later. Yeah, right. And so this is where you get the idea that that cousin's kind of kind of going off the rails. You, you get a letter from your aunt. Yeah. Right? And so... Bold choice. You're deciding to make a character that isn't an orphan. Well, I can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so uh, my second thing that I really like to... Uh, give my party members the opportunity to do my players the opportunity to do is congratulate each other at the table for the things they've done in this first mission and and show each other what cool what they found cool at the table and usually i do this through um, a system that you kind of set up for me way back when and showed me how it worked way back when which is the inspiration dice system at the end of the session you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i do um this is really helpful for me as also the kind of the lazy spur of the moment DM. Um, I found, I found this process really helpful. Um, basically what it is, is depending on the narrative 
weight of importance of the session, you assign a dice value that your players all hand out to each other. For example, this is a fluff piece where you all chase chickens. Yeah. It's D4s. You get D4s. This but, is... but you just killed a major general. These are going to be D10s. Yeah, right. Um, and then each player around the table gives one dice to one other player. So, you know, James sits across the table from Charlie, who, uh, you know, crits on an assassination uh, attempt on, a, you know, a guy who was kicking the party's ass and uh, was about to kill James's character. So James is like, thank you for saving my character's life. I'm going to give you my D10. Yep. Right. And then Charlie could take his dice and move it over to, I don't know, Adam and say, hey, you did this really funny joke with this one role playing encounter. Here's this dice. I laughed from it for hours. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be mechanical that you're rewarding. It can just be, you know, you you tickled my sphincter. Yeah, or or you didn't die when you really should have, right? Yeah. It's stuff like that. And it's really up to the players to kind of figure that out for themselves. And by getting them to think back about what happened in the session, it, it, it pulls them more into it. It encourages them to stay more aware of what's happening during the session. Because they know at the end of the session... They were going to want to give out a dice or they're going to have to give out a dice. It also makes them more engaged because they're going to want to get dice. And these dice fu- function as bardic inspiration on any D20 roll. You could roll it down except, except for death saves. Except death saves. yeah. Because death saves need to be important. If you're throwing bardic inspiration on death saves, you're kind of defeating the purpose of them. Yeah. I also let them stack. If you rolled a yeah. D4 and rolled a 1, then roll a D6 as well. If you've got a whole whack of inspiration dice. Yeah. There, these things are bankable. Yeah and, yeah. and so I've known some players to hold on to 25 of these things for that one big kill moment against a, a bad guy, which is really important. Yeah. Um, and I really like inspiration dice. It can get a little out of control. And by tier 4, you want to start limiting what you're handing out. Yeah. Because you, st- you started doing things like... Uh, um, magic items that we got that gave us a daily inspiration dice rather than giving us inspiration dice. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I do is if if there were a bunch of really cool things around the table and everybody gets nominated with inspiration dice, then I at the end as a DM will say, I also liked this, this, and this. So here are three more handed out to people that did what I thought was really, really cool things. That gives an extra level of reward. Yeah. All right. So my two things. Yeah. First and foremost, the simplest one is, as everyone is packing up and ending, call a person by name and say, hey, that was really cool. Good job. I thought that was neat. Not something that is worthy of an inspiration die, but when they did something really, really in character, right? Or they decided to um, to forego their action mm-hmm. to give help to someone else that should be able to to accomplish whatever skill check in the middle of combat, right? For people that are willing to sacrifice their own um, playability for whatever reason, but just give congratulations to people. Yeah. Or give them the, the verbal accolades because I think that a lot of people wrap it up and the DM is considered to be, I don't know, the central hub of, of the game. And they're not. They're the yeah. referee and they, they set the tone and, and they present the conflict and that's it. That's all that we do. It's the players. They want to know who the MVP is. I have no problem saying, hey, that was really cool. I won't use the word MVP because someone else will be like, well, I did cool stuff too, right? (laughs) And if that happens a few weeks in a row, they're going to feel a little butthurt about it. But I will just take a moment. Everybody will eventually get that, hey, that was really cool. I liked this. It's such an easy thing to do and DMs don't do it. No. Give a little bit of that. um, and And you can do that. You don't have to wait until the end of the session. If you wrap up the quest and you're only halfway through the session, you can stop and say, wow, that was really cool. I liked how this happened. I can't believe that you guys got past the ogre with that stealth check. Yeah. Right? That was really cool that you cast this at that time to do that. Good, great thinking outside the box. Right? Yeah. So. And and I just want to encourage everyone listening that this doesn't even have to just be a DM to player situation. This could be a player to player, even player to DM moment as well, where you are kind of actively building each other up. Um, I, I always remember, I used to laugh at the groups that had the people who cried in them um, way back when, because I'm like, it's a game, guys. You're rolling dice and making fart jokes. What the hell? The Why why are you crying? Oh, and, you've cried since, Dan. And then I have cried at a table since. And uh, it, it becoming vulnerable at a table requires quite a lot of Emotional safety. Emotional safety and also emotional risk. And if your party 
sits there and is like, all right, Dan, you cried. Good, good, good job. Can we go back to killing things now? I will never cry at that table again. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I will, I will actively, actively avoid story beats that might make an emotional effect happen. Right. This then becomes a joke campaign to me just by missing it once. So this is something you kind of got to focus on and, 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 and do right. See, I'm with you 100% as far as the idea of being supportive enough so that vulnerability can happen around your table. Yeah. If you're going to role play, and we always talk about role playing as being a significant pillar, it just is not at some tables. Yeah. Right? But if it is at your table, you've got to give everyone the opportunity. As a DM, you have to give everyone the opportunity to role play. But as a player, you need to give everyone the ability to stand in the spotlight by themselves. And that spotlight is not always necessarily... A good thing. No. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Um, and you may be upset. You could be angry because a mechanical thing worked against you and you're just tired of rolling the seventh, not one in a row. And <laughs> 13 just, in one session. Yeah, yeah, you did 13 in one session. Or or sometimes your character goes down against a Merilith who gets seven attacks yep. uh, in a turn and they hit you and 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 you're dead. You never got to roll a death save. How mad are you? Mm-hmm. Right. If you're going to have these emotional reactions, everyone else around the table has got to let you go through that. Just because someone is raging out doesn't mean that they're a bad player. Yeah. It just means that they're mad about this because it was unexpected. So allow people to, to have those those feelings and those emotions. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's almost more important than any of the others as well. But, <laughs> but no, I, I'm a big believer in communicating about whether or not things were good, if they went well, if they did not, and, and rewarding the players with your words. And that's more important than dice because that's really? why we show up, right? To yep. have fun and to feel good about ourselves. Um, the last one that I would say that I would I would give out as a little reward is you finished the quest. That was awesome, guys. Does everybody want to give me just a little wish list of, of what they want? And I usually ask for this in session zero. What's your wish list of items or accomplishments that you want to make? Do you want to backflip off of the top of a building and shoot fireballs in 17 different directions at once hitting all the bad guys perfectly land quip and then say that's right that's how badass i am directly in front of the princess so she falls in love with you is that on your list of things to do or is your list just like i want a red sword either or is perfectly fine but give me your wish list for what you want at a dnd uh, and and at the end of a quest i'm gonna say is your wish list up to date or i'm going to say hey look maybe in this downtime i can fulfill one of these mm -hmm. and give you a sense of of almost xbox achievement right yeah yeah so i think that that's a really good way of rewarding players it's got to be at the right table uh usually mechanically based tables mechanically focused tables tend to like that stuff a little bit more than the role play tables but role play table could just be like hey i want to i want to know that my family is still okay back in the farmstead yeah so a letter shows up and you just have that moment of, oh, thank God the DM hasn't killed them yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. yet. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, that idea of fulfilling a character's wants and needs. I know that, um, I've got a couple of players that lead their own cults, uh, in my evil campaign. And one of the rewards that I hand out a little updates every once in a while, whenever we finish a thing, there's a little update. How's the cults, how are the cults doing? Right, because when you're out adventuring, you don't necessarily know what your cult is up to. Hmm. So it's stuff like that, little information, sidebar pieces of info to help you go. Okay, good. My personal story that I wanted at the very beginning with all of these things that I wanted to check off is progressing. Mm -hmm. We've finished our main mission. We've gotten this sense of a finality to everything. Now we have to move on from there, and let's be completely honest, there's still a lot of campaign left in front of us, so we need to take the next step. So, Adam, we've broken down a couple encounters, some dynamic encounters, for what happens after we finally, you know, in our campaign, finish our first mission, bring Zelmar back, hand him into Tremblay, get our reward. Yeah, we finished last episode outside of town, and I'm sure that there's a social encounter with the guards at the gate or whatever. These are not dynamic encounters. I don't feel the need to talk about these, but yay, you get back. Here's your gold star. We've given a little item reward or whatever, but but what are the actual dynamic encounters that we can add now, right? So yeah. do we want to roll dice and see? Yeah, let's do it. Ooh, a 19. 
Well, I did not get a 19. I got below that. No, I didn't. But but just to be clear, there are all sorts of things in here, like um, opportunities for downtime. And uh, people are going to want to go shopping. And maybe they want to craft. Or there are other um, encounters that you want to have. This is a transitional period between the end of the first quest and the beginning of the next one. And what we're talking about here, what Dan and I are looking at, uh, we decided is now is the moment where we decide to launch the campaign arc. Yeah, this is this is when we're giving that first big drop of knowledge to your party that there's more happening than you escorting a crazy Eldrin alchemist into town. Yeah, so the first the first mission at level one because you're squishy, you are super squishy. That's the prologue. Yep, we're about to launch at the very end of this session. We're going to launch it, so we're looking at a lot of foreshadowing and resol- and resolving the stuff that came before, so that we can shift our tone. And shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah. But at the very end of the session, how are we going to build up to that? How are we going to go from the end of the escort mission to the beginning of the campaign? What are important dynamic encounters? So, yeah. I guess, Dan, you're going first. Yeah. So, um, when I'm doing that transition thing, and, and this is before we drop the fact that something big has happened, I'm really trying to build a little bit of suspense, some dread, some drama, some, some sort of um, feeling that you could kind of pick up around town or or amongst the the NPCs that something is about to happen or something is already in the process of starting. Um, so for my first encounter here in our uh, campaign, I went from a uh, role-playing to exploration encounter where your party, after doing their downtime, everything, um, you know, Zelmar's all set up uh, with Tremblay again. Uh, you're now looking around town and you see everyone's kind of huddled into little groups whispering to each other. And your party is curious as to why. And they've got to go from group to group to kind of piece together this story. Um, and and they're, they're, they work their way through town, exploring through town, finding these different groups from different organizations or pasts or, or uh, uh, cliques inside of the city. Factions and whatnot. Factions and whatnot. Um, to find out that one of the a local soothsayer M- uh, NPC, who is kind of like the the lovable homeless uh, character that uh, always everyone kind of always ignored or just tossed a couple gold coins to if they needed that. The, the homeless guy that said the end is nigh. Yeah, that guy uh, was in the middle of the busy town square when he suddenly grabbed his head, screamed, and then died convulsing in the middle of the street. And everyone is wondering what the hell. Is there an end to this? Do they get a resolution at the end of this? Um, I I would say no. Your party, everyone's got their own theory as to what happened. But no one knows the truth. So the idea is that you're exploring and every time that you would go do like a, uh, uh, go to have a conversation with somebody, they're going to point you to someone else that heard the rumor. Exactly. And so what I would do as a DM ahead of time is I would actually come up with a, a circular answer here so you know person a points you to person b points you to person c all the way up to g who just points you back to person a yeah and so there's all this conflicting information here and the players are going to go what is all this about and this also gives you an opportunity to kind of cement some of the tones of the town in um when something weird like this happens in a city everyone's prejudices everyone's uh base nature's kind of come a little bit closer to the surface. So you're you're going to see the negativity you're behind gonna, people's eyes. You're going to start eyes. seeing negativity where everything was all bright, shiny, and new before you left to go rescue the alchemist. Now you're starting to see how people are a little bit more real, a little bit more uh, in-depth and built out. All right, so my first one, the, so the second encounter, is going to be that Lachlan's gnome uncle that we uh, that we dealt with. In oh, the that past. lovable scamp! Yeah, the one that beat up the party and kind of you know waved his dick around and said, "Hey, here I am, better than you." Um, he has made a false claim while you were away. Tremblay was alone, and he made some sort of false claim about Tremblay breaking the law. And now, and because he's a private investigator, he has police contacts that are corrupt, mm-hmm. and that he is paid off. And so, uh, Tremblay's uh, magic discount or discount magic item. Uh, is closed. The shop is closed now. And there are no more, there's no more money coming in, which you're part of a merchant's guild. This is an issue. Yes. Right. So what I'm doing here is I'm reestablishing the fact that the, um, the sub, 
big bad evil guy um, organization, the the subplot, the secondary position, they're going to rear their ugly head again. Now, we're going to get into who the big bad evil guy is and what the overarching real problems are by the end of the session. So we need to reestablish what the subplot is right before we go into that so that it feels like the world is big and complicated and chaotic. Yeah. Because there are two forces pulling you in two directions. So this is going to be role-playing to combat. Where they're going to be standing out front, goading you and laughing at you as you walk up to see that the door is locked, chained, and there's, I don't know, police tape across the front. Maybe uh, he's been accused of gambling out of the back or, or I don't even know what the issue is, right? But there's been a false claim. You know that, that your patron, your group patron yep. is, is not capable of doing these, these illegal crimes, things, yeah. right? And yet, this old grizzled guy is going to be sitting there laughing at you. We really need a name for this guy. We'll have to come up with that soon. Yeah. But he's going to be sitting there laughing at you. And then your players will, they will step forward and draw swords. Yeah. You can just goad your players into that. And keep in mind that they probably had a long rest before they got into town. They may be down a couple oh, of spell fresh. slots. So, yeah, they're going to be able to they're kick a little bit of ass. Right now. But we're still talking thug level bad guys. The action economy should be pretty balanced and your guys should get away a little scuffed, but not in any real danger here. Have Lachlan's lot pull back and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to deal with this. This is going to be an issue, but you're going to hear from us again. Yeah. And maybe they pull back because the town's guard jumps in. Mm -hmm. Right. And that would be the dynamic counterpart of that where you go from this role play to suddenly you're fighting them and then the town guard, the corrupt guard shows up and makes their presence known as well. So you know that. And still sides with the Lachlan's Lot guys. Yeah. Yeah. Quite clearly. Lachlan's Lot is not going to get in trouble for this. But right? you will. But you will. For you may, causing a public disturbance. You won't get arrested, but you might get fined. <laughs> and nothing <laughs> pisses off players more than fining them. <laughs> so anyway, there, there's my first one. So that we're getting kind of more of an idea that that sand spit, our, our city is, is not necessarily a safe place. No. And we're going to, that's going to be really important over the next couple of sessions. Uh, my next one is, uh, I really want to start pushing this idea that, uh, some of the more, um, divinely, uh, touched NPCs and, and, and characters in this world are starting to have some weird stuff happening to them. And, and this is going to uh, follow up by Tremblay finally taking your party aside, maybe after the store has been opened up again and, uh, pulling your party aside and saying, guys, thanks. You did such a good job here. We're back in the store. We're good. I've got Zelmar going up and running again, but, um, I have another friend who I need you guys to look at. He's a old confidant, maybe an advisor to Tremblay in some way, shape, or form, who has recently gone mad. And now your party has to try to figure out why. Well, how is this person who's been a confidant and an advisor to Tremblay, who, remember, isn't the most confident person, isn't the most uh, well-spoken, is a bit jittery. Um, what, what caused this more... Um, resolute friend of Tremblay's to just lose their gourd. It just occurred to me, I'm sorry, I'm going to sidebar just for a second here, Dan. Um, we said that Tremblay is an Aarakocra with mm -hmm. a nervous disorder, so he's always molting. Yeah. Should we just get right on the nose and say that he's a chicken Aarakocra? I, I love this. I, 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 no, I, yeah. I, I always had the idea of him being more of a Nibix. Yeah, I was thinking something like a crane almost yeah. in my head, but I like the idea of him just being a, a very large chicken. Kind of like a, a family guy level stuff. No. <laughs> well, there's the big chicken and family guy. <laughs> yeah, all right. You go nuts. <laughs> um, anyway, so he's got this friend who is a uh, um, some sort of cleric or maybe even just a priest of some sort that has gone mad. Uh, and your party has to go and figure it out. And this is when you're going to be able to give your party a little bit more information, maybe even some minor prophecy about what is about to unfurl in the world. So what what uh, what category is this? What dynamic encounter? This is a role-playing to role-playing where uh, you kind of get a chance to unwind with Tremblay. And then he confides in you that his business acumen and, and all that other stuff might be not necessarily fully his 
own doing, but that of a little bit of further advice from this friend who's gone mad and Tremblay needs his help, help him figure out what's going on. Again, do you get answers? I don't think you, I, I, I think you get some, but not to the questions you're asking. Um, this is this, like I said, this is an opportunity to give a little bit of prophecy. This is an opportunity to, uh, um, get a little bit of, uh, more external information about the world and how it works. Um, but your characters are level one. They're not, they don't have the capacity to cure a mental disorder through even magical means at this point. One of the other things that we, we know, I mean, we know the gods have gone missing and that's the mystery that we're talking about. And yep. the players don't really understand that yet. We also know that this giant temple of many faiths, this, this palace temple, think Taj Mahal mm-hmm. in the major city that's to the south is, is going to collapse. And, and we know that the sinkhole is going to appear and whatnot. So we're, we're really leaning into the idea of the divine going a little bit haywire. Yeah. And the idea of, um, of there being something going, going really bad. So maybe we should be pointing people towards the temple. Yeah. Uh, we also know that in the next couple of sessions, we want to go to the temple and we want to actually get some real quest level stuff at the temple. So let's, let's define where it is in the city at this mm-hmm. point. Let's define who, who is there in the temple? How many people are there? What levels of priests are there caretakers? Are there, is it like deacons and altar boys or are we dealing with a, a series of friars or what does this look like? Is this a nunnery? Yeah. We don't know, but whatever it is, this priest character, yep. this, this diviner that can see the future is, is, I guess at Tremblay shop. Yeah. I would say he's kind of like, he's in a room upstairs that's been, uh, uh, equipped to kind of help keep his ravings on the down low. Yeah. And, and Tremblay's super thankful that all the guys in Lachlan's lot didn't discover that this guy was up there. All right. So my next one is. I want to look back at the idea of resolution. So what we're doing is we're while we're building towards the idea of the big plot line is about to kick off, I still want to resolve and make the players feel good. They finished this escort quest. Mm-hmm. Zelmar needs to give them a reward. But that reward, this is downtime, by the way. Yeah. That reward is very simple. You sit back and you say, hey, look, uh, Zelmar is very pleased that you got him into town. He knows a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy. He's got, he's a potions maker, so he knows all sorts of people that can make things, as well as all, he's got all sorts of contacts in town. Guys, open up the player's handbook and find the, the table on kits. You can get one of them at a discounted price, and Zelmar knows a guy that can get that for you. Mm-hmm. So, tell me, which kit do you want? Decide together as a group. Do you want thieves tools, herbalism kit, you know, first aid kit? There are dozens and dozens. Do you want a calligraphers kit? Like whatever it is, determine what it is that you want together. And I will give you the name and the details of a contact that you will be able to go to in the future when you want to go down this road again. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need better thieves tools to get into the next thing. Maybe we need a more fleshed out herbalism kit that can do some poisons and stuff, yeah. right? As we hit so, different It sounds tiers. like this other uh, NPC you're building is maybe a little bit on the shadier dark market side of things. Yeah, and I th- but I think that's okay. Or at least they're, they don't necessarily need to be black market. They could just be... Um, distant. They could be standoffish. Like, I won't bother to deal with common merchants. But, oh, but you want to come get some holy symbols? That's fine, but I craft only the best made of silver that are worth a thousand gold pieces, but you've got this contact from Zelmar. I'll sell them to you for a hundred gold pieces, right? That's quite a discount. That's quite a discount. That's really good. And so you're going to have the opportunity. Someone's going to write it down in the book. Hey, we know this guy. He can do this kind of thing. And we're starting to build an NPC ally list. And that is another kind of reward that I like to hand out is friendly ally NPCs. So um, I want to, now that we've resolved everything uh, with this mission, there's a certain amount of party politics that should happen. And this is your party really diving into each, uh, into each other's characters and showing that you're a group and that you are there to support each other. And as the... Um, the divine start to, uh, suffer these weird effects. Your divinely inspired characters in your group are not going to be immune to this. 
Um, so I would have our priest character, our priest, or about. or like so. This is your clerics, your paladins, your rogues, your druids. Like, oh, sorry, your rangers, not rogues. Uh, your druids, the, the your your casters who could cast divine spells. So your divine sorcerer or your ancient your ancestral guardian. Um, barbarian or like your your celestial warlock stuff like yeah. that. Um, I would say remember it's all the gods, including the old ones and whatnot. So yeah. arch fey and arch devils and whatnot. Are yeah, going, your so warlocks, warlocks will are, be hit too. Are going to be hit by this. Um, are going to be forced to make a save now. Make it a fairly low save because let's face it, you're all level one anyways. Um, but they collapse uh, with a splitting headache. I would like say the, I would instant say migraine. The save. This is going to happen. Yes. The save is for half psychic damage. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, but, but, I'm sorry. By the way, I want to establish psychic damage early because we've got the Underdark in our future. Oh yeah. yeah and no. we we've got mind flayers and whatnot coming. So establish psychic damage early. You see how we know what our our end goal is, and we're dropping hints early. Yep. Um. Now, they can be roused. You've asked me a couple times, is there some sort of resolution to uh, my encounters? This is the one that there is because you don't want to have your players just be neutered for the rest of a session, right? Uh, uh, congratulations, you're now out. Watch the rest of your friends and me play D&D. That's not how we want to do this. So they're able to be roused. They're able to get up. But uh, there's going to be lingering effects of this. So they're going to be dizzy. They're going to be a bit disoriented and kind of inform the players that this is kind of where they are. I would I would even drop you have for the next hour three levels of exhaustion. And yep. when that hour is up, all three go away. But you are suffering those. Exactly. Or Or one of the things that kind of came to my mind is you got disadvantage on your attack spells. Sure. I mean, that's part of the first three levels of yeah. Exhaustion. So, so um, and and until some sort of resolution has been some like large scale resolution has been met, like some some sort of narrative beat has been met, that's how long they're going to have this for, right? That's pretty crippling. Um, it yeah. I mean, the narrative beat is going to be when we wrap up the session. So this is going to be an encounter I kind of throw near the end of the session, maybe in the last hour or two. Um, I think that I think that what you should do and is have them continue to roll saves until they hit a twenty or above, and when they do that, they get a prophecy and a vision. Yep. Oh, yeah, I like that. And that's when their disadvantage goes away. They're able to to work their way through this divine migraine. Mm-hmm. Divine grain. No. No. Okay. All right, so my last one is going to be exploration to exploration, and this one is really going to tie in to, uh, to what we're doing in level two, but I really want the idea that now that people have settled in and your guy has kind of got his, um, your priest has got his mental faculties back a little bit, and he has this vision, and you've got this NPC, uh, see, I wrote this and I had no idea what you were doing, Dan, so this yeah. all ties together nicely. Um, once you've got this NPC upstairs, this contact of Tremblay's at that is um, religious or divine or yep. a prophet. We need to go to the temple and find out what's going on. All right. It's going to point everyone towards this temple. And when you go there, you see that the masses are also heading to the temple. This is going to be exploration to kind of work your way through the city. And again, rolling checks and maybe not survival, but but a local knowledge, just intelligence checks about where we're going next. There's some religious uh, checks as well, but do you know the layout? Um, the, your priest character should know where to go. And, like, how to present yourself in in uh, the temple as well, depending on what faith you ascribe to. Like, uh, it's something that is fairly rarely done, uh, I find, in D&D games, where, like, the, the actual systematic theology of your uh, characters comes into play. This is an opportunity to kind of show what people in the town believe and how they show it. So, so are they throwing on uh, sackcloth? Are they uh, dousing themselves in ashes before they go in this in this moment of mournful and there confusion? Are, there's so many different gods and so many different religions here that they can all be different things that are oh, happening. Yeah. And so when you get to the temple, you find that it is empty. And the front doors are locked and you had to essentially break in through a back door and you find that this, the scripts and again, the, all of the scripture and the scrolls and everything have been strewn around. And then you get out to the main area, the big foyer where, where people are, are supposed to come in. 
Here's the end beat. And this, this is where I say you need a definitive moment to launch your campaign. And this is it. This is how we're going to end the session is you are going to get there with your shaken priest, uh, in your party and your raving lunatic NPC priest. And you're going to get out to the main area and find scrawled in blood on the wall that faces the front doors that have been chained from the outside. It says in giant, um, letters, the gods have gone missing. And that's when Lachlan's lot picks the lock, opens the door, and reveals these letters to the masses outside. And Thanks, you, guys. And you are in the temple, right there with a mad priest. Who's going to get the blame for this? So, we've launched our campaign. There it is. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. session end, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have everybody sweat it out for a week or two, depending on your, your D&D schedule. But... You see how we're building and we're consistently pointed in the same direction. And there are rewards, but those rewards are also plot hooks. Yeah. Right? So, so, um, so that, that's, that's the end of the first mission. Yeah. And this is where, this is where you stop and say, okay, look, this is great. We've launched this one moment. I'm going to go away for a week or two and figure out how is my party going to react to this? Yeah. Start guessing what your players are going to do. And depending on how right or wrong you are, that'll tell you how you need to prep your sessions moving forward. Yeah. The level of detail, the level of thought that you put into what your players are doing. Yeah. This is also going to be the last level that your party is at level The last one. session. Yeah. The last session, you're at level one. The end of this session, our party and uh, your party should level up to level two. Give them a little bit more power because we're about to open up some uh, a little deeper of a can of worms. That your party is going to need to be able to handle with a higher level. So pull the rug out. Say, guys, hit the next level. Roll up. Do what you need to do there. And move on. Right? Um, this is when you would sit down and have your players also hand out their inspiration dice. Or or um, talk about the cool things that happened during the session. After everyone's had a moment to kind of process what the hell just happened. Yep. Right? Yeah, so, uh, yes, this is, this is where you would, would wrap up absolutely everything and say, here's where we're going. Everyone knows, oh, shit, this is it. Yeah. All right, so shit is hitting the fan. Let's take a week and think about how this new tragedy will affect the population of Sandspit, the Canvas City, the world, and most importantly, our players. This will give us the chance to contemplate this new heathen lifestyle and decide how we want to deal with the transition. Tune in next week when we discuss how to build a balanced, dynamic encounter. Thanks for listening to this episode of the new It's a Mimic Campaign Builder series. You can find us at www.itsmimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Okay, bye.